Hello and welcome to the IT Governance Podcast for Friday the 13th of January 2023. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? Possibly. Later on, we'll continue with excerpts from our webinar series on the importance of implementing layered cyber defences to secure your organisation from attacks, something that's particularly important in an economic downturn, as our CEO, Alan Calder, explains the third stage of the IT governance cyber defence in-depth framework, management. But first, here's the news. The Hull Daily Mail reports that 16 schools in Yorkshire, including all 15 schools in the Hope Centre Moo Learning Trust, face a demand for £15 million to regain access to their crippled systems following ransomware attacks. The schools affected are Archbishop Centre Moo Academy, Aspire Academy, Balby High School, Burton Green Primary School, Compass Academy, Forest of Galtry's Anglican Methodist Primary School, George Pindar School, Graham School, Manor CE Academy, Newland St John CE Academy, Poppleton Oosbank Primary School, Skelton Primary School, St James CE Academy and Vale of York Academy. Hymer's College in Hull, an independent school not part of the Hope Centre Moo Learning Trust, was also affected. It said, we quickly became aware of the incident and responded immediately and appropriately, working with all the correct authorities. A source at one of the other schools told The Sun, it's been a nightmare. Staff have been told they can't use the school computer network and have to plan their lessons in the old-fashioned way instead, with a pen and paper. According to the Yorkshire Press, however, Helen Wynne, the CEO of the Hope Centre Moo Learning Trust, said the trust had not actually received a ransom demand, and if they did, wouldn't pay it out of principle. She continued, As a precautionary measure, some IT systems will remain offline while we continue to investigate the issue, protect our IT infrastructure and restore services. Thanks to strong backups, we're hopeful systems will be up and running in due course. We're also pleased our systems alerted us quickly, allowing us to take the necessary action. I want you to know that we take the security of our IT systems very seriously and we're working with highly experienced partners to secure our systems, resolve the issue and minimise the temporary disruption. This isn't the only ransomware attack on the education sector to have occurred in recent weeks. Sensitive data from 14 other schools and colleges in the UK has been stolen as part of a cyber attack carried out by Vice Society, a hacking group that specialises in ransomware attacks on the education sector. According to the BBC, the compromised data includes information about children's special educational needs, children's passport scans and staff salary information and contact details. The schools affected by this attack were Pates Grammar School Gloucester, Carmel College St Helens, Durham Johnston Comprehensive School, Francis King School of English London and Dublin, Gateway College Leicester, Holy Family RC and CE College Haywood, Lambton School Hounslow, Mossbourne Federation London, Pilton Community College Bunstable, Samuel Ryder Academy St Albans, St Paul's Catholic College Sunbury-on-Thames, Test Valley School Stockbridge and the De Montfort School in Evesham. SOAS, the School of Oriental and African Studies, part of the University of London, was also hacked in September 22 as part of the same campaign. The Information Commissioner's Office is investigating. These incidents demonstrate the growing prevalence of so-called double extortion in ransomware attacks. Attackers recognise that increasing numbers of organisations are heeding expert advice not to pay ransoms, so exfiltrate victims' data before they encrypt it. If the victims refuse to pay, the criminals use the stolen data as a further bargaining chip, and if that doesn't work, sell the data online to other criminals for use in further attacks. This is obviously not to say that it therefore makes sense to yield to the attacker's terms. The information has already been breached and you have no guarantee that the criminals will delete it. Moreover, by paying them, you demonstrate that you're a soft touch and, of course, you fund further attacks. Far better, and in the long term considerably cheaper, to put preventive measures in place rather than implement them later on top of your remediation costs after you've suffered an attack. 
You might remember that last November the Irish DPC, or Data Protection Commission, imposed a fine of €265 million Euros and a range of corrective measures on Facebook's parent company Meta, following a lengthy inquiry into data scraping after a collated dataset of Facebook personal data was found to have been made available on the internet. Some 530 million Facebook users' information was compromised, 110 million of them are EU residents. Now, Digital Rights Ireland is suing both the DPC and Meta, claiming that justice has been denied to victims of the data breach because the DPC determined that the leak was not a data breach within the definition of Article 412 of the GDPR, or General Data Protection Regulation. Article 412, as I'm sure you'll all remember, and do join in at home if you know the words, defines a personal data breach as a breach of security leading to the accidental or unlawful destruction, loss, alteration, unauthorised disclosure of or access to personal data transmitted, stored or otherwise processed. Dr TJ McIntyre, the chair of Digital Rights Ireland, said... Facebook left the doors unlocked, but the DPC's decision effectively means that Facebook isn't responsible to individuals whose data was stolen. It denies that there's been any data breach for the actual victims of this failure, and means that they do not have to be notified of the breach. He continued, The Data Protection Commission's decision is untenable. Over 100 million Europeans' data is still downloadable on the web today because of Facebook leaking private, personal data. Real names, mobile phone numbers, dates of births and emails, a potential treasure trove for fraudsters. That's personal data under the GDPR, acquired due to Facebook's wrongdoing, which still exposes the affected data subjects to a range of risks. Meta has not commented on Digital Rights Ireland's lawsuit, but TechCrunch reports that the DPC's Deputy Commissioner Graham Doyle said, It'll be appreciated that we cannot comment on the substance of matters that are now before the courts. For information, however, you may wish to note that a decision has not actually been made yet by the DPC in relation to this complaint. It's acknowledged that DRI takes a different view on this point. The DRI's lawsuit is the latest of many legal actions against the DPC for failing to enforce data protection law properly. We await its outcome with interest. That was the news. Now, we know that only a defence-in-depth approach to cybersecurity provides the layered defences you need to ensure your organisation can withstand cyber attacks. If one of those defensive layers is breached, the others help contain the damage and ensure you can return to business as usual as quickly as possible. The third layer of a cyber defence-in-depth strategy deals with managing your cyber and information security risks. IT Governance's CEO, Alan Calder, provides more details. So um, we're going to talk uh, briefly a recap of the threats facing uh, organizations today. Uh, we're going to look at what the third stage in a cyber defense in depth model uh, might be. And then we're going to go into some depth into ISO 27001 and how it fits into a cyber defense in depth model. A brief look at some of the policies and procedures and how those relate, relate to keeping out of regulatory contractual and compliance challenge. Uh, a brief overview of impact of supply chain management because risk in the supply chain is a, another major area for all organizations, audit certification, and then a kind of quick look at practical uh, solutions for implementing a cyber defense in-depth strategy. Uh, most organizations have a number of breaches of one sort or another uh, every month, uh, and those breaches where somebody says, ah, I clicked on a link that I shouldn't, that's a cyber breach. Uh, it takes you time and money, even if you deal with it quickly, it takes you time and money to, to deal with. So what does cyber defense in depth look like? Well, there are, there are really five uh, levels to it, um, five, five elements. The first is about detecting attacks when they come in. And, and of course, you've got uh, firewalls in place, you've got spam filters, 
it's doing all of that. But um, you need to be detecting much more carefully where you have a vulnerability and where you have vulnerabilities, because it's vulnerabilities that you're interested in rather than um, just the in-flood of uh, different attack types, is you have vulnerabilities in two areas. And the first is in your internet-facing assets, and the second is in your human being. So you need to be running uh, vulnerability scans and you need to be running phishing training on a regular basis to make sure that you're keeping those vulnerabilities closed. Uh, you need to be deploying protective measures. Uh, stuff will get through. People will not recognize that they've clicked on a link. So you need to have a good incident response process, which is trained, rehearsed, and trained. You need to have Cyber Essentials, which makes sure, particularly if you go with Cyber Essentials Plus, which makes sure that you've got in place basic technical security controls. Uh, you need to have in your uh, IT team basic cybersecurity and privacy skills and competence. So, so those are kind of basic areas of building protection. But here at level three, we're talking about managing cyber risk. We're recognizing that you can't deploy huge amounts of money equally across the whole business, not only because that's expensive, but because you don't need to defend every part of the business in the same way. You've got some parts of the business where you haven't got much exposure. You've got other parts of the business where you've got lots of exposure. So your bank accounts, your personal data records, your customer databases, those, for instance, are really valuable data. They're valuable to you. They're valuable to a cyber criminal. Um, however, uh, a particular mobile device which has got no information on it, uh, you might not care particularly whether um, uh, it breaks or not. It could be a pain in the neck if it does, but you might not care. And at this kind of third level, what you're doing is you're saying, right, we've got some basic defenses in place. We've been able to protect ourselves at a kind of straightforward level. Now we need to think very carefully about our core assets and our core defenses. How are we going to make sure that the crown jewels are protected? And but the kind of uh, questions you're going to be asking yourself is um, how do we, uh, in a small organization or even a more complex organization, how do we manage cybersecurity risks um, in a way that's not just implementing those basic controls? How do we embed our uh, controls, the, the mitigations we've decided on in our own organization and across our supply chain? How do we make sure that uh, things are working as we want them to work? We're not just relying on chance and hope. Um, how do we tell our customers, our stakeholders, our investors, our partners, our suppliers that they can rely on us for being here over the long run? How do, how do, they, how do they know we're not like the American uh, medical uh, records company simply going to disappear because we have a cyber attack that we are unable to deal with? How do we demonstrate uh, to a customer where we've signed a contract saying we will uh, protect their data or we'll process data in line with their requirements as, as the controller. Um, how do we demonstrate that we've done that? What processes do we have in place to deal with that? So management is about answering those questions, it's about answering an even bigger range of questions like, um, are we adequately insured? When did we last test our recovery procedures? Do we know whether if we have a breach, uh, our recovery procedures are going are gonna to work? Do we, are our recovery procedures still built about uh, the current levels of device and software we have installed? Is our information security awareness such as we have it effective? Um, do we do a risk assessment? Do we know what risks we're dealing with? Or have we simply said to our support team, our IT team, make us safe um, and then been upset when the way they make us safe is they lock everything down? Because that's what IT teams do uh, if you don't identify where risks really are. What are the top risks 
What are the things that, as an organization, you should be uh, concentrating your cyber risk management investment on? And that's really what um, ISO 27001 is about doing. If you've not come across ISO 27001 before, it's a management system standard, just like ISO 9001. It focuses on information security rather than on quality, but the logic is exactly the same. The logic is that you will have a, a policy, you'll have a set of procedures, um, you'll audit compliance with those. Uh, it's a management system where the standard is built on best practice put together by uh, a committee drawn from people with wedges of experience from around the world, available for a small sum of money. You can buy the standard for typically 100 or 200 pounds. Uh, the effort has to go into how you implement what you do to comply with it, how you get that audited. But all such standards, an ISMS, Information Security Management System, even more than most, uh, is built around the idea that you need to recognize, uh, enumerate, and comply with specific laws that might be uh, relevant to your organization or to your sector. What ISO 27001 enables you to do is build a single way to comply, and in that single set of procedures, comply with multiple laws and regulations. And that's useful if you're just an ordinary organization uh, trying to comply with GDPR, for instance. Um, it's also useful if you're in a regulated sector like critical national infrastructure or finance, or you're trading in multiple markets with different laws. You don't want to have a set of compliance requirements that meet the FCA handbook and a different set of compliance requirements to meet uh, GDPR rules. You want one set of requirements which can be audited by multiple people and meet all of those kind of requirements. You want to be able to meet contractual compliance requirements, you know, like PCI. PCI is a contractual compliance requirement uh, to process payment cards. Um, many customers uh, require levels of security around processing their data. Um, if you're dealing with a data controller, you're a processor, you'll be required to deal with data uh, in a way, personal data in a way that meets their requirements. So all of those uh, are things that you want to be able to deal with through a single management system and building an information an ISMS is the logical way to go about doing that. And the benefits are, are, are kind of therefore, uh, therefore obvious, it follows on from doing those kind of things. You achieve multiple legal compliance requirements in a single hit. You don't have to have uh, silos of uh, different ways of doing the same thing, which conflict and create expense and administrative uncertainty. Uh, you don't need to have uh, different audits carried out across different uh, areas of the business because you can just have your ISMS audited and by that means demonstrate compliance. That saves you money and disruption. You, you can demonstrate to customers uh, and to others that you're meeting contractual requirements. You can, as a management, satisfy yourself that actually you're doing what you should be doing. Um, this is not just your IT or security team saying we're secure. Uh, you have an independent organization, do an audit. Uh, you have a report that tells you where you have non-conformances, uh, whether things are going as they should do. Enables you to improve security through the business. You get people involved in it, understanding what they should be doing. Uh, the role of human beings in corporate security uh, is, is significant. And the more people understand their role, they understand how to comply, uh, all of that helps. And of course, uh, uh, all of that adds up to uh, you not having breaches, you winning more business, uh, you having a more compliant business, uh, and that adds up to growing prestige and long-term uh, long success, particularly in an environment where 
you're dealing with recession. The last thing any organization can afford in the middle of a recession is suddenly having to deal with a cyber breach that you weren't planning on. So to take it at a fairly high level, um, the Irish Health Service is now 50 million euros into recovery from a ransomware attack. Uh, they've also spent, I think at last count, 9 million euros on putting in place the defenses that would have stopped the, the ransomware attack in the first place. So 59 million euros is what they're having to spend to do the work of 9 million euros. Um, it's a simple message. Spend the money now uh, to make sure you're secure. It avoids having to spend an awful lot more on dealing with the consequences of a breach. In addition to which, you'll still have to spend what you should have spent now to get yourself secure. Because to be frank, cyber criminals know perfectly well that when you've been breached, they can breach you again. You're not going to get yourself to an appropriate level of security very quickly. So they'll come back, they'll have another go. Um, and we see instances where cyber criminals going after known vulnerabilities. A single organization can have two or three attacks within the same two or three hours from a two or three different uh, cyber criminals. So, so that's the kind of reality you've got to be dealing right now today, if you haven't, with building a uh, cyber defense in depth. So ISO 27001, as I said, it protects your reputation uh, uh, from the consequences of not being able to respond to a security threat. Suppliers and stakeholders want to know you're going to be around for the long term. Enables you to avoid regulatory fines. And, you know, British Airways is just one example of organizations where a five-week uh, uh, gap uh, between a, uh, um, an iframe on a website and the, uh, and the website enabled attackers to get behind it, uh, lay their hands on uh, uh, millions of personal records, uh, led to a significant fine, huge expenditure, huge investment of effort by British Airways dealing with something which they didn't think was a problem. They thought they were compliant. So you can avoid fines, you can avoid disruption, you reduce costs managing information security effectively. You know, you do in a recession, you want to be able to increase the level of your uh, your security, you want to be completely on top of it, but you don't want to be wasting money. And ISO 27001 helps you do that. It helps you improve structure and focus. It reduces also uh, the need for frequent orders. Because again, in uh, we, we certainly find that in a recession, uh, customers spend more time making sure that suppliers are secure than they might otherwise, because they're very alive to the possibility of a hole in their supply chain. They're trying to manage their risk as well as so. How do you implement ISO 27001? Obviously, you go buy a copy of the standard. That's a couple of pounds. The next thing you do is you create an implementation team. You put together from within the organization, somebody senior, somebody from, uh, the, uh, from the business, somebody maybe from the technical team. Uh, um, but they're going to lead the implementation. This should never be an IT project. This is a business project, a business benefits are significant. Uh, you want IT supporting it, but you want the business bought into it right from the beginning because uh, the business salespeople, for instance, are going to benefit really disproportionately from the effectiveness of this. So create an implementation team, give them some training, make sure they understand what they're doing. Then appoint a project manager and develop an implementation plan. This is the point at which if you're looking for outside help, you might bring in uh, an outside consultant who's done it lots of times before, who can help you put a plan together. You're looking to create a plan which will cover a three to 12 month period, depending on the size of the organization, and which will enable you to, in a joined up controlled way, 
uh, implement ISO, implement an ISO, ISMS information security management system. You'll determine what roles and responsibilities should be at this point. Uh, you will uh, put in place continual improvement uh, processes. You, you know, you've got to recognize that at the point that you start implementing an ISMS, you'll already be doing quite a lot of the things that ISO 27001 would expect you to do, and you're going to document them and you're going to improve on them. There will be other gaps which you'll identify and you want to build on that. And over time, you'll continually improve uh, what you're doing. And then you need to be building awareness internally. Uh, uh, you want all your staff uh, buying into the project, you want customers and others buying in. So there's an awareness program which you kick off at the second step of ISO 27001 implementation. Uh, the third step, and there are nine steps in this, we've this is a, a nine-step process I first wrote about probably nine, ten years ago. We've deployed it in thousands, uh, hundreds of organizations. We've sold thousands of copies of the books. Um, it, it's a process that really works. Step three is initiating the information security management system. It's agreeing a top-level information security policy, a couple of page document which says this is the organization's approach to information security. It's signed off by Top management, it sets the scene and direction for implementing information security inside the organization. You also at this point determine what your documentation structure will be because, you know, like any management system, you're going to have procedures and you're going to have some records which track how work instructions or procedures have been implemented. Many of those records will be in the form of computer logs, uh, but you need to think through how you're going to put that together. And that's part of the job of your implementation team. So three steps are really what you might call uh, working out how to make a good start. Uh, you don't want to go pell-mell into it because you suddenly go, oh, we forgot this, we forgot that. So make a good start, first three steps in implementing ISO 27001. The fourth step, having decided on how you're going to do it is really then to finalize the actual scope of the management system. This is kind of where it starts getting a little bit complicated because uh, it's easy if you're a small business with uh, 20 or 50 employees, uh, the scope's going to be the whole of the business. Scope basically is um, what do I draw a line around where I know who the management team is um, and we know who is outside of the management system and we have to govern our relationships with them. It gets more complex the larger you get as an organization. Um, if you're a group made up of multiple entities, are you going to uh, have a management system which covers all of them or is it going to cover one of them? Uh, if you have many departments or divisions, if you're international, all of those are elements in determining what the scope of the management system should be. But it's a critical step, this fourth step, because unless you know which bits of the organization you're protecting, you can't work out how you're going to go about protecting them. Um, once you've decided on the scope of your management system, you can decide on the scope of your implementation project. Obviously, it's going to be uh, the scope of the management system, but you kind of want to look at your implementation team and go, actually, can we do this? And you might say, well, the scope is going to be the whole group. We've got 10,000 employees in 50 different countries, and then you look at your implementation team and competences and go, actually, we can't do this. It's too, too hard. Um, which are the key businesses we need to focus on? And you may shrink the scope so that your uh, implementation team's capability matches that. But you want to make sure that scope of the management system and scope of the management team, of the implementation team, are aligned in a way that enables the project to proceed. So, great. Now you've got a scope. Now you can think about uh, what controls you put in place. And the reality is that while ISO 27001 suggests that you're going to do a risk assessment and then determine 
what controls to put in place. The reality is you have a whole lot of controls which you've either already put in place or which you have to have in place to meet various compliance requirements. So there's a racing certainty you'll have a firewall. There's a racing certainty you'll have anti-malware software. There's a racing certainty you already have a password policy in place. You may have multi-factor authentication. So in this step five, what you're doing is you're identifying the controls you have in place and working out why you have them. Are they there because, hey, it's kind of, you know, what we do, it's like having a door with a lock on it. Or is it there because there's a specific contract that requires us to do it, but you identify what we call baseline security controls. They are the controls which are already in place and for which there is a legal and regulatory reason for them to be there. You then ask yourself, which controls are we missing to meet our compliance requirements? So uh, GDPR compliance requirements say you need to have appropriate technical and organizational measures to deal with the risk to personal data. So you should ask yourself, what technical and organizational measures do we have in place? Uh, and you might have none. You might not have uh, identified, for instance, how you implement your privacy notice. So those things you've got to do because you're complying with GDPR. So the minimum level of controls, baseline security controls you need to put in place. And you define that, document it, make sure that you have in place what you You've documented what you know you've got and you put in place what you have to have to meet your various compliance requirements. Now you can proceed to do a risk assessment. And risk assessment is a requirement of ISO 27001. And essentially what you're doing is you're identifying the key assets inside the organization and you're asking yourself what vulnerabilities are there around those assets that can be exploited by what threats and if a threat successfully exploits a vulnerability, what's the likelihood of us suffering a significant impact? And your answer might be, we don't have any threats, or we've got some vulnerabilities, there's no threats for them, in which case there's no risk. Important that you define a risk as a combination of a impact and the likelihood of a threat exploiting a vulnerability. You might say, threat can exploit vulnerability, we see that, but impact minimal, uh, likelihood very low or likelihood very low impact very high. So you're going to do a risk assessment quite often using a risk assessment tool, which is designed to identify where you have exposures outside of your baseline security controls, because it's where you have exposures that you need to roll out additional security controls. Those are the areas in which you need to be investing additional money. You're going beyond simply meeting your compliance requirements. You're dealing with organizational exposures on the basis of your risk appetite. And different organizations have different risk appetites. So small startup businesses might be prepared to take quite big risks. Big organizations might be prepared only to take quite small risks because of the number of people who depend on them. So there are a number of factors that you take into account in considering your risk appetite, but you're gonna determine what kind of risk you want. And that helps you think about what controls you're gonna put in place as a result of your risk assessment. And it's that set of controls that you determine that you're gonna put in place that forms your risk treatment plan. That's the, we're gonna do these things, uh, uh, this role is gonna be responsible for implementing that change to an existing control or that rollout of a new control. This is the timetable, this is the budget. Um, that risk treatment plan is fundamentally step seven in implementing an ISMS. But you're going to do more than just simply roll it up. You're going to, as you roll out those controls, you're going to be beginning to ask yourself, 
is the control effective? How, do, how will I know whether this controller, control is a, a kind of mitigation for risk, it's a countermeasure. How do I know this control is going to provide me the protection that we're looking for? How do I know that I'm going to get out of the level of compliance that we need? How do I know I'm going to be able to thrive as a result of that? So as you're rolling out your risk treatment plan, you should be thinking about how are we going to maintain the competences inside the organization, uh, the skills, the competences in your uh, technology compliance, business management teams that will enable us to go on developing and managing the ISMS effectively. Step eight, measure, monitor, and review. You, the whole point about a management system is to make sure it works. So you're going to have an internal audit uh, process. You'll train people on doing internal audits or you'll uh, hire an external firm uh, like IT governance to come and do internal audits for you. Uh, what you're looking for is an independent view, and the independence could be because you have one department auditing another, and as long as everybody's properly trained, that works. What you're looking for is a independent review of the extent to which departments and individuals are complying with the policies and procedures, uh, the risk mitigations that you've put in place. And these are capable of being measured and quantified and can be used to drive improvements. So you can say, okay, in the first uh, three months since we rolled out our ISMS, only 50% of people have done the mandatory training. Um, in the next three months, we're going to try and get that up to 75%. Uh, lo and behold, you get it to 70%. That enables you to set a target for the following period. So you use measures in order to drive improvements uh, in your management system. The ISMS is not about getting to the point where you have no risk. It's about managing risk through your cyber defense in-depth model as effectively as you can. The final stage, step nine, and this is really the whole point of the exercise, is to get certification, is to go to an external accredited certification body, um, and there are, there are lots in the UK and elsewhere, and they, for a fee, will do an audit uh, and will give you a certificate which says, as an independent auditor accredited by the UK, the UK accreditation service. They've audited your management system and it complies with ISO 27001. Uh, and they will then come back uh, on a regular basis over the next three years to make sure it continues to comply. And it's that badge, that certification badge, that enables you to demonstrate to stakeholders, to customers, to staff, that you take looking after not only personal data, but the assets and processes and operations of your business seriously and seriously enough to make sure with external verification that you go on doing so. So ISO 27001, logical way, step three in uh, uh, level three in your cyber defense in depth. But you also need to think about <clears throat> what's happening across your broader supply chain because you're buying things from organizations and increasingly uh, you're accessing information through APIs, uh, suppliers are sending you documents, um, you've got digital interactions, uh, you have the possibility that suppliers might get taken over by a criminal, uh, albeit briefly long enough to send out phishing emails that look pretty uh, realistic on account of they are. So you need to think about how are we going to drive security through our supply chain? How are we going to build resilience into our supply chain? How are we going to ask our key suppliers uh, maybe to do cyber essentials, to become ISO 27001 certified, to demonstrate to us how they're complying with GDPR? All of those are key elements in building robustness in your supply chain as you move forward into uh, the next six to nine months of 
uh, potentially challenging economic circumstances. And th that, uh, for you, uh, certification for you is a way of demonstrating to your customers that you're taking it seriously. It's also a way in which your suppliers can demonstrate to you that they're taking it seriously. And many major organizations are saying, as part of a condition for an RFP, for instance, supplier must have ISO 27001 as well as 9001 and perhaps other standards. It's a requirement or a regulatory requirement. Uh, and so uh, it becomes something which proliferates through the supply chain. It kind of makes sense to do. If you haven't got ISO 27001 certification in place, it makes sense to do it proactively before you're forced to do it, because not only does that mean that you're on the front foot dealing with customers, but it means that you are uh, really on the front foot dealing with your own specific cyber risk. Thank you, Alan. That's it for this time. As ever, you can get in touch with us either by leaving a comment on the blog or via Twitter at ITGovPod, that's my account, or at ITGovernance. We'll return in a fortnight, but until then, our archive is on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And you can find everything you need to implement and maintain cybersecurity defence in depth on our website, itgovernance.co.uk. Thank you.